is the conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody who's I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed! And England win on penalties! History in itself! You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yeah. Yes, he's back. No wonder he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get him by the way. Hello and welcome to episode 234 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. Alex Jones and Jack Harper. AJ and Jack both weren't here last week. Jack says he was hungover. Alex, we don't know what the reasoning was. I'm assuming Alex was hungover. Um, but me and TK did hold down the fort with a little help from Evo. And as a direct result of last week's episode, Spurs decided not to appoint Paolo Fonseca as manager. So uh, you've got a lot to thank us for, Alex. Oh, no. Tell me about it. But then <laughs> then we had the follow-up of Gattuso and I would have given everything to have Fonseca <laughs> back. So, <laughs> Well, uh, if we see that maybe a link with anyone good this week, then we'll get Evo back on and we'll do another roundup just to be sure. <laughs> Plenty of news of the week to get into. Also do have a smaller, I can't believe that was on TV as well. So uh, I'll get straight into it. Scientists have been at it again. Scientists say women now drink as much as men, not so much for pleasure, but to cope. <laughs> so that's science for you. Uh, Japan has released the world's first edible and functional face mask. There was going to be a place that did it. It would be them. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh... <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't come up with some weirder shit before. They, they probably have. <laughs> we just don't know about it. Japan seems to be what these scientists would do if they had a bigger budget. Like, <laughs> they have the info, but then they just put it into practice afterwards. There's no judging. Of, there's, no, there's no judging. It's just you, 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 you go where your mind feels best. Exactly. Uh, the uh, Harley Quinn animated TV pro- TV show producer reveals that DC allegedly removed a Batman Catwoman oral axe as heroes don't do that. <laughs> I, what? I, I think I think we can disagree. I beg to differ. Hit some of the biggest <laughs> heroes you ever see. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good TV show as well. Actually, I'm, I'm I think three episodes into the first season. It's a bit uh, kind of down the same line as everything where they were like this isn't your standard hero thing and uh it's getting a bit of something different but decently i'll watch 20 minute episodes which i always do like uh 
Pikachus gather at G7 Summit and call on Japan to stop burning coal. There's a lot of Japan-centric stories. To there are, yeah. Start. They've been busy. Uh, runaway Monkey reunited with family after train station adventure. Nice happy ending for the pod. Makes a nice change. I was expecting something a little bit more sinister. Well, yeah, we'll get there now. Um, man charged in girlfriend's murder tried to sell her car, forgetting she was dead on the back seat. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Give you the happy... That's more like we, uh, and yeah. Then we give you that afterwards. That's very on brand for us, I would say. I, I yeah. was half expecting so- the monkey to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> 76-year-old woman is suing the city after a SWAT team drove an armoured car through her front door. <laughs> that sounds like a GTA thing. Yeah, that was just got <laughs> um, reviewer criticises Welsh Lake over lack of McDonald's. <laughs> I, mean, where'd I you see they're that? thinking, if I'm at a nice Welsh Lake, I feel like a fish go down a tree. What are you having on the side, Byron? Um, chicken nuggets and a Big Mac, probably. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, Jap- that was Japanese- Byron's uh, review of Milan, by the way. <laughs> could, could do with a few more McDonald's. <laughs> Interesting take. Was this Byron's review of the Welsh Lakes as well? Maybe he's just he's trying to start this agenda that we need more McDonald's in idyllic spots. Just generally. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, little man. Um, Japanese condom makers fear anticlimax at Olympics. <laughs> Usually they're so, meant to be at it all the time, aren't they, at the Olympics, and I guess COVID restrictions yeah. are going to put a stop to that. Yeah, I suppose you're right. They'll have to focus on the sport. Canon put AI cameras in its Chinese offices that only let smiling workers inside. <laughs> That is brilliant. I have seen these like facial recognition cameras and they have them like in Hong Kong at the moment and they don't need police because they just have these cameras and they get spotted and then someone just comes and picks them up and puts them in a police car and drives them off. By a robot. It is literally that. If your robot's called Sunny, stay the hell away. That's like one step before Minority (laughs) Report. I take iRobot over Minority Report as well. Yeah, I would too. Um, National Park Service once again tells tourists to not push their friends into bears. We had this a while back, didn't we, if you can remember the story. They had to put a statement out because people were coming out with people that they didn't really like but were kind of in their friendship group, and they were bringing them onto these uh, nature walks and then trying to kind of leave them alongside the bears. Um, I guess it took a turn when people started pushing their friends towards the bears. That is brutal. That does like that does sound like something that would happen when we went to school. Uh, hopefully, no bears in uh, Gloucester, I guess. Yeah. Elderly zoo penguin with arth- elderly zoo penguin with arthritis gets shoes to provide relief. Another happy story for you. Happy feet. Yeah. Exactly. And finally, petition to stop Amazon founder Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth after space trip has over 25,000 signatures. <laughs> so last week they wanted him to uh, buy the Mona Lisa and eat it, so uh, this is a nice turn. 
I like that they're just going to go, well, look, Jeff, there's a, there's a petition here, so what are we going to do? We've got, we've got to keep you out here, mate. Sorry. I actually really did like the Mona Lisa one. I was fully on board with that. I'd have chipped in. Um, so, from a headline you may have seen this week, I can't believe that's on TV, is uh, completely centred around the current film career of Nicolas Cage and the films that he's recently starred in and is set to star in. So uh, I've got the synopsis for you of his uh, the last six films listed on his IMDb, some that are out now, some that are due to be filmed and released. So the first one that's out already is called Primal. A big game hunter for zoos has booked passage on a Latin American shipping freighter with a fresh haul of exotic and deadly animals from the Amazon, including a rare white jaguar. Also on board, a political assassin being extradited to the US in secret. Two days into the journey, the assassin escapes and releases the captive animals, throwing the ship into chaos. <laughs> That's amazing. Of course. I don't know why there's a political assassin it's, being transported alongside a white jaguar, but there we go. It, it's almost as if all of these ideas have been born at 4am in a kitchen somewhere. I like that this is what Nicolas Cage does now. Uh, I've said this previously. He's made he, his money, now he just does what he wants. Did he not go bankrupt and now he has to take all these small roles? And is that well, not, some that we're going to get into, you'd, you'd, I mean, he looks like he's having the time of his life on some of them. <laughs> so the next one is simply called Jiu-Jitsu. Um, every six years, an ancient order of Jiu-Jitsu fighters joins forces to battle a vicious race of alien invaders. But when a celebrated war hero goes down in defeat, the fate of the planet and mankind hangs in the balance. <laughs> that is just so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they get weirder. Um, prisoners of the Ghostland. Set in the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, where a ruthless bank robber is sprung from jail by a wealthy warlord named the Governor, whose adopted granddaughter <laughs> Bernice has gone missing. The governor offers the prisoner his freedom in exchange for retrieving the runaway. Strapped into a leather suit that will self-destruct within three days, the bandit sets off on a journey to find the young woman and his own path to redemption. <laughs> <laughs> the leather suit thing seems oddly specific. The person I, in the picture just wanted though, to see him in a leather suit. There could be... a a chance that he finds the runaway and they're just walking together at the time and it just goes off. Do you not think that, like, some of the ideas we've had on this pod, we should start sending these to Nicholas Cage? Yeah, There's yeah. a chance he may well take them. <laughs> uh, Willy's Wonderland, which actually received some quite high critical acclaim. Uh, a quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against wave after wave of demonic animatronics. Fists fly, kicks land, titans clash, and only one side will make it out alive. Uh, and these, then, that are due for release, um, Pig, which is the headline you may have seen I put in the uh, movie chat, a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. 
John Wick meets Babe is the tagline. Oh my god. As if, I just don't understand how he's taking the film. I just can't. So there's, there's actually a trailer for that film out if you want to check it out. I, um, I feel like I need to. This one I mean, that maybe. Like, Byron, the, you, you said you, just, you like that he's just doing like what he wants to do now. Like, is this what he wants to do? Yeah. Is it in his mind's eye? Is he going, you know what? I need a film with a pig in it. Apparently you so. You should um, do a movie madness bracket just on these new Nicolas Cage releases. Well, I mean, he, he did face off and obviously that just wasn't weird enough for him it just kind of uh yeah i, I was listening to the one about the plane anyway you think like conair was obviously too straight laced for him he thought we're going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary <laughs> well this one maybe there was mental synopsis yet so uh it's called the unbearable weight of massive talent um i'm not sure if he named this himself um a cash-strapped nicholas cage agrees to make a paid appearance at a billionaire superfan's birthday party, but is really an informant for the CIA since the billionaire fan is a drug kingpin and gets cast in a Tarantino movie. Oh. <laughs> He's done too many drugs. I've it? been reeled in by that. I think I can, I can see that. That's got legs. <laughs> does, does he come up with these ideas or does he just do them? Does people... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like um, he must just—he must be coming up with a few of these. He's also the lead role in the untitled Joe Exotic project, an eight-part mini-series based on the life <laughs> of Joe Exotic. <laughs> he's not struggling for work, is he? <laughs> no, he's a busy, he's a busy man. Um, but that is—I uh, can't believe that was on TV. Um, and just before we move on, then. Movie Madness this week, we have five hours and 40 minutes worth of film to get through, Alex, as it is uh, Saving Private Ryan against Interstellar. Oh, uh, Interstellar for me. Have you listened to last week's pod? I have. Just me and Keenan there. Were you shocked to hear that Keenan didn't like either film? Uh, oh, wow. He doesn't really surprise <laughs> me with anything he says these days. <laughs> No, um... He must like uh, one of these two. Yeah, I know he likes Saving Private Ryan. He's not seen Interstellar. Um, I don't know if everyone here has seen it, and I wouldn't spoil it anyway, but... I've not, yeah. That's not there, there's, there's a part of the film that I'm looking forward to hearing his take on, because uh, I can't imagine it's good. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I do know the bit you're on about, which I... <laughs> it's funny enough, one of my favourite parts of the film... Well, uh, I might be watching that this evening, if not uh, tomorrow, so uh, we'll get there. Anyway, we've had plenty of football over the past week. Me and TK had the two-man pod last week, and last week we kind of went through every game that we'd had so far. This week, I've kind of got talking points about the main teams that have kind of been stealing the headlines. So uh, we won't do a deep dive on Austria, for example, but we may go into the uh, fortunes of Portugal. So... uh, I'll take you through. Oh, Byron, these chances must be killing you. Yeah, Netherlands are killing me and they're going to cost me £5 in my predictor at work. Um, anyway, if we start with England, the one who uh, we will have the most to talk about, I'm sure, although I am conscious not to spend the whole episode on it because it will then become largely redundant as we play tomorrow. So... Uh, uh, also in the group this week, we did have Croatia 1, Czech Republic 1. The less said about that game, the better. 
Uh, I know me and TK had the day off work, and you couldn't really have put together three more boring games than England, Scotland, Sweden against Czech Republic. No, Sweden against Sweden, Spain, Poland. Who was Sweden against? Slovakia, wasn't it? Slovakia, there we go, yeah. Sweden, Slovakia and England, Scotland, yeah. Um, I've got later down in my notes that Sweden make women's test cricket look interesting. (laughs) Um, Which was also on on on, uh, Friday, so it was a big day of sport. All right, England, Scotland then. Rest assured, I mean, we were all quite excited going into this. Uh, The game couldn't really have lived up to any less expectations. As we prepare for the game, the news breaks early in the morning that Rhys James and Luke Shaw were replacing Walker and Trippier at fullback. Did anyone have any issues with that going in? No, not really. I did assume you'd be in. I quite like the move. I thought it made sense. Yeah. I thought it looked a more attacking lineup just mm. by the change of fullbacks. Um, it looked more like common sense was being used. Was another one, and then I guess we assumed the rest would take care of itself. Quite naively, maybe we thought that we just weren't attacking as much because it was Croatia. Um, the game starts and within thirty seconds. Luke Shaw's on the deck. Um, <laughs> and he spent about 10 minutes there from memory how a bloke his size gets boshed about like that is a, another question for another day but it's hard I mean, to pick that back up though he <laughs> did get a knee right into like the kidney didn't he I yeah I know but Jack, that back off should present at least a certain <laughs> amount of balance he's got a few Big Macs his there's a lot of cushion there yeah, yeah. Um, I mean the game starts in we're quite positive early on. We have the John Stones header that comes off the post, Mason Mount just after um, flicks wide from close range. And really, that was about as good as it got, wasn't it? It was kind of downhill from there onwards. Uh, Jordan Pickford makes a save from the half volley of O'Donnell shortly after, and then it's nil-nil half-time. Um, yeah, that's exactly right, and... It was almost a kind of game where you're used to seeing where it's like, well, it's just a matter of when, not if. Yeah. After all these chances go awry in the first five minutes. And then it was just stifled. It was just... I think just it was. At that, at that point, and I don't disagree with you that in my head we were still going with the, it's a matter of time. All evidence on the pitch did kind of tell us the opposite of that being the case. It was more just, I guess, hope that was doing it because there was nothing we were watching after that John Stones and Mason Mount chance that was saying, like, all right, a goal's going to come in a minute. But no, that, that's what I meant. I meant more so after those two chances. You kind of think, all right, we're definitely going to get another. And then there just wasn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just nothing from there on out until the 90th minute. And then it ended. And it was like, it was just such an anti-climax. I'm still... Holding hope, though, that my theory that we're going to be this solid, not for these games, but for games we come up against a France, a Germany, a team of a better calibre, I'm holding 
Because that's all I've got left right now, if I'm being honest, is this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I see us, like, the opportunity of us finishing second and either getting Spain, Slovakia or Sweden, it looks like, or us going top and getting France or Germany. And I'd actually rather just us draw France or Germany and just, right, let's have a go and see what we can actually do. If we go out, we go out. I admire your thinking because, I mean, I'm, I'm the opposite here. After watching, well, before that game on Friday... I think I was listening to Football's Coming Home on repeat um, while, while at work to get me through the day. I've not listened to it since, and I've not had the same enthusiasm for an, for England playing since. No. So uh, I, I I'm do, definitely I, in a different position to you. I, I do make the case, though, that like playing Scotland, it means so much for Scotland. And we were poor, yes, but they worked so hard to make us look that bad. Um, and I, I just don't see other top teams being that concentrated on defence alone. I feel that if you test our defence, I, I do feel that I'm a bit more assured that it would hold up a little bit more than it would previously, which means there's going to be more space for us to attack into, which is exactly what Harry Kane wants. He doesn't want to be in a team that has all the ball, which is interesting to see him if he goes to City next season. Well, he, he likes to kind of drop deep and almost other defenders forget man. about him, doesn't he? Yeah, the team, uh, Jack Grealish came on after 60 minutes, kind of, we had five minutes of a bit of a boost and then it was largely the same. Um, the fans booed England off the pitch. Um, <laughs> the, the interviews after didn't really give us what we wanted to hear although it's probably that they were saying the right things that they should be saying internally in terms of but we're not worried uh, I, I, I didn't really like Southgate's well look if we're not going to win the game you at least don't lose or, although that kind of goes in with everything that we kind of feel he stands for previously and how kind of defensive minded he is and how negative kind of thing um, just some stats because I guess the thing that we'll pick apart here is our lack of uh, creativity and kind of cutting edge. Um, Steve McManaman, and I, it's not often I'll quote him on the podcast, Blimey. said after the game to ESPN, you could put Ronaldo or Maradona in this team and they struggle to score goals. Um, something that's particularly damning when you look back, and I know we've gone into it previously. Who was that? What the hell? Alex, did you just breathe into your phone? No. Did any of you just notice that but like I got dropped from the call and I've been like trying to get back in for the last few minutes? Well we had quite a bit of peace for the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like I don't know something like a dumbo then. Was it has it leveled yeah, out? Yes. I'm about to it has, yeah. Just uh, hopefully it doesn't yes. happen again. It was yeah. I don't know what that was. Um so yeah, Maka says you could put Ronaldo and Maradona in this team. They'd struggle to score goals. When we reached the semi-finals of the 2018 World Cup, we scored just three goals from open play. Um, considering we had Panama in our group, not great. Uh, only five teams created fewer chances from open play at the last World Cup. It kind of seems to an extent like teams have realised now it's almost better to let us have the ball and do what we want with it than to get stuck in and give those chances because 
for all that's said, you do have to take the chances from those set pieces, which is fair enough. But at the same time, if you can prevent the set pieces and you're prepared for them, we look like there isn't a lot more that we're doing. TK, if I, I go to you first. The big debate has been about Harry Kane's performance in particular, whether he should be playing the next game. Southgate has come out and said, look, he's our best player, he's going to be playing. Do you, do you think it should really be a debate or is it as simple as England are as good as Kane is and uh, you kind of ride with him and, uh, until it goes your way or it doesn't? Yeah, I don't think you're going to go, right, Calvert-Lewin's our guy, actually. Kane, you sit on the bench. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I think the, the only thing it would achieve if he did drop him for the last one would be to suggest that, look, this game is meaningless, which to all intents and purposes, we should be through. So it should be meaningless. So if you dropped Kane, I don't think anyone's under the illusion that, right, he's going to drop him for the knockout phase now, is he? So I, I think I actually think we're going to have to play him into form as well. So I think it would be counterproductive. Yeah, I think I said before the game uh, on Friday, and I, I did think it would be a lot easier than it was, that if Kane hadn't scored by half-time, then he was going to be on every single set-piece we had. It just so happens that we actually didn't have any set pieces for him to be on, because I do think he'd have been on the free kicks and all sorts. Uh, when we go in, when we go into the game, is it a case of uh, Jack? If I go to you, is it a case of switching the personnel around him? Is it a case of Southgate needs to tell them to kind of take the handbrake off? What is it in particular? Because Obviously, something's not going right. It's not just Kane's fault that he, he's not helping the situation. No, it's not. He's feeding off less than... He's not even feeding off scraps. He's feeding off absolutely nothing. And I don't... You've got some of the most exciting, creative players in the midfield behind him in, in the Premier League and in the Bundesliga, which Sancho hasn't even started, hasn't even played a minute yet. And... Um, it has to be down to system. I mean, I've seen Mason Mount carve open defences like in a Champions League final. In a, literally, as recently as a couple, what six, five, four weeks ago. Same with Phil Foden. I've seen him carve up defences for fun in the Champions League and run rings around people. And you put them into the system, and it just looks so robotic. There isn't any flair that is just so rigid, like. There's no free-flowing movement within the midfield. It's Once a player's marked, they're marked for good. And Kane is starting to drop a lot deeper to try and pick up the ball just to get a touch. And then there's just no one in front. I, I, I just don't understand why Southgate can't just see, right, we need to just speed the play up a little bit because it's so slow as well, which... It would almost be like, I'd, like to, I'd actually like to play like Mourinho here and just let the other team have the ball and let us counter. Because I feel we'd get, that would play better for how Southgate wants to play. Go on, Zika. The problem with it is, is, I mean, everyone played bad. No one had a good game. Pickford was okay in goal. Everyone else was obviously terrible. But I don't even know if it was necessarily system because everyone just looked so. Uh, sort of timid on the ball. Like, nobody wanted to take any chances. And, look, I can draw this back to the manager if you want. I don't know what he's doing on the training pitch, what he's saying to them. Well, he can absolutely draw it no back was to that disgusting to... bloke. Yeah, but I, I don't necessarily know that I'm looking at it thinking, right, that's a system. I'm looking at it thinking, look at these players. Nobody wants to run with the ball. 
and no one wants to make a forward pass on against the Scotland game. In Croatia, that wasn't quite the same. There was more, a little bit more creativity, not exactly free-flowing. But in this game, everybody just looked like bereft of any confidence. And I don't know whether it was a they physically tired or if it was a mental thing. But, like, you know, the amount of times the fullbacks would get on the ball and, you know, you've seen it countless times to say, for Chelsea, Reese James, if there's not an option on, you'll actually knock it past the guy in front of him and then look up again and see if there's an option on. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a bold thing to do, it's a brave thing to do, but we've seen him do it countless times. And yet him and Shaw just weren't doing that at all. But this you, is why... I can't figure it out. That, that, that's why I was almost certain it was a system issue because I've seen Shaw have his best attacking season I've seen since he mm. went to Man United this season. I've seen James week in, week out, like I said, just barge past players and whip it into the box. And James is delivering the same as Shaw. You think that with a man like Harry Kane, he'd just be gobbling up these chances. If we're trying to get down the byline and whip it into the corridor of uncertainty, as I like to call it, like, that is Kane's bread and butter. That's where he finishes his chances. We can Why go back, it? We can go back to... Um... Last year, when uh, Mido came out, if you recall, and he spoke out against Southgate, and he said England need a proper manager. They need to get these players away from that man. <laughs> and he said, when he, he kind of uh, went in a bit longer, he said that Southgate is a scared manager, and that's never going to change. He says he was in the dressing room. He said players could feel his fear. And he said, we were battling relegation. It was still just so negative. I know it was his first job, but these things never change. Um, I know some of it, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not all all his his fault. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, say that. Alex, how much blame do you think Harry Kane should take for this? Because the focus of the punditry after the game was largely on his shoulders. I saw a lot of the players were asked, like, what's Harry Kane doing wrong? I, I mean... Pundits went out of their way to kind of defend him and say he must not be fit just because he's not playing well. How much do you think he needs to take on his shoulders for uh, Friday's performance? I think it's quite plain and simple uh, that you he takes 50% of the blame. Uh, purely down to, and like I say that as if it was like a big amount, because he first of all, he's the captain, um, and I don't I didn't see him being a captain on the pitch at all. Um, I'm not really sure why he's got the armband. Um, his performance was dreadful and he is the focal point of the team. He is our star man. And unfortunately for him, that comes with a certain amount of weight on his shoulders to perform. Um, I didn't really think that he adapted well um, to the way that the game played out. He didn't didn't drop into the areas that you wanted him to. Um, he was just low in energy and the way his sort of his, the sort of way he was carrying himself around the pitch it seemed to sort of echo across the squad um you know whether that's just the you know the your main guy not leading the way very well i mean that's not that's pretty condemning because that's maybe his only justification for having the captain armband is that he can lead by example not you know because he's the best guy on the pitch yeah. but um but yeah i didn't i, I just felt the decision to sub him off at what was it like 75 minutes he got subbed off or something like that i think it was yeah yeah correct yeah i thought that was a, a brilliant decision and I, I i actually respect um southgate for making that decision because it was a big call um and hopefully that'll provide a bit of a wake up call for him 
in terms of look I mean you, you know you're not performing you are going to get subbed off but unfortunately for us if he carries on to perform like that through the tournament we're going nowhere very very quickly so you said that you gave him 50% of the blame who do you portion the other 50% to uh, I'd say about about 30% to Southgate and the rest of the squad the rest right, so- of the squad after that so 20% Jack. of the squad, 30% Southgate, 50% Kane. Jack, so um, the change that he did make when he took Kane off was for Rashford, which is interesting because I guess most people assumed if Kane was coming off, then it was going to be for Calvert-Lewin, particularly with how the game was going and that it wasn't there was no spacing behind, so it seemed almost as if the ball would just have to be pumped into the area, which is where we got that kind of scramble at the end. Mm. Do you think Rashford on was the right call? Or or not? And do you think, I guess, Grealish came on as a sub? Or what did you think about his kind of in-game management? I thought it was a very Southgate move. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was, it was kind of like, I'm not going to go for the win here, so I'm just going to play the safe bet. I would have thought you could have brought Sancho on, potentially, and run with a false nine. Because we obviously weren't getting any joy whatsoever with a actual centre-forward. So let's try and run in between the lines a little bit, let's try and mix it up, do something they're not going to expect. He took Foden off, didn't he, which was the other main point of criticism, that it was like, why have why you taken him off? He looks maybe our most creative guy. Yeah, I mean, if it were me, I'd like to have seen um, Foden, Grealish and Sancho all on the pitch. Like, I know it's probably one of those where Sancho's going to play the next game, stink the place out, and they'll be like, OK, that's why I wasn't playing him. But you still got to give him that chance. He's one of the most exciting players in the Bundesliga and the Champions League this season. I also think that like, play Calvin Phillips against the team that you need to run around a lot in the midfield, definitely. But a Jude Bellingham where he actually travels with the ball a bit more, that would make such a difference in a game like that, where if the pass isn't on, you need someone that will travel. So of the uh, two, then, you think I, I, it, it, it should be Rice that stays in rather than Phillips in that position? I, I think Rice is more cemented. I think he's more solid. And I think I would back a team with Bellingham and Rice in more than I would with Phillips and Rice. Um, even Phillips, even like in, in game, I meant. So in, in game, like... Oh, uh, in game. I, I mean, if it was me, if I, if I was the manager on this, I'm going gung-ho, running with one centre-defensive mid, which probably would have been Rice... And then had two attacking mids and two wingers. That's what I would have done because as much as Scotland had like snapshots and a few half chances. I don't know. They, they created better chances than us. They moved the ball better than us. They did. They did. But I would still wager this because I don't, I, I know that I don't want to put all the blame onto the system and the in game management, but go back to the original question with the Rashford sub, that was a very Southgate move that wasn't anything un- unexpected and it wasn't anything that really excited you either, you thought you've seen the season that Rashford's had, you thought he's given up already, he just wants legs and hopes that we break, that's what he wants well, Some kind of Another question for you and I have, I have more for TK and uh, Alex was I, I saw um, some other people speaking about the game and they said that England looked like a team that were kind of relying on some individual brilliance, whereas Scotland were a team that very much, and people saying it was patronising before the game, saying that the England team was much better than Scotland's. I don't think anyone, man for man, can really disagree with that, whether you're English, Scottish or whatever. But Scotland did look like a team, didn't they, where 
if one person made the mistake, then that could have been the issue rather than the collective. Whereas England, it really was. We were waiting for one person, whether that be a Foden or a Kane, to do yeah. something rather than it be a concerted thing that ties in with what you said about the system. Yeah, I've just watched uh, the Netherlands play, and I know that they were playing North Macedonia, I get it, but I still think that we don't look as fluid as they did on the ball, and they're ranked, what, one place above Wales in the world rankings at the moment and didn't qualify for the last tournament. North Macedonia what, look good on the ball when you see some of their play. I, I know, I know, and I just don't see us playing like that. It's, it's almost like we've necked out on this five-at-the-back system. It's kind of like, well... I think we should probably go back to it and just whip it into the box with the wing backs. <laughs> like, okay, if this is how we play with four at the back, I can kind of see why you wanted to play with five. Um, yeah, James looked like, and I know this kind of ties in with, with what you said there, Shearer, I think it was, that really got on his case after the game and said, like, he was watching it back and he was screaming at the screen, like, where are you? Like, push up. He was saying you were looking at other teams that are playing and their fullbacks are, are right up when they're attacking and it looked like I think he said hiding was what he said. Well, I think he'd be applying that to the whole team. But I, I would definitely say that he's being told not to do that because if there's a criticism of Reese James, is that he gets forward too much and he leaves himself too much to do when he gets back. Now, if he's done consciously thought that that's the criticism of him, so he's not going to do it on the international stage, that's another issue. But his instinct is to get forward always. I've never seen him want to do anything else other than go either go past the player or play it forward and overlap. So you've got to come to the conclusion that if Shaw's doing the same, which that's his instinct, you would say as well. I just don't think what we've done is we've gone to four at the back and Southgate, it does tie into what Mido said, where he's got scared and he's thought, no, no, if we're going to play four at the back, then we need to be completely rigid with the four at the back. It's like when you play on FIFA, when you, say, non-attacking fullbacks when you're playing online. Like, it's a, it's a tactic that you do when you get into an actual game that you need to win. Well, Alex, um, I know you've been a big defender of Trippier at left-back. From what you've seen in the first two games, if you were picking the fullbacks for tomorrow's game, who would be your left-back and who would be your right-back? Uh, oh... Um, I think you'd have to go with the lineup in the first game, to be honest. The uh, so Trippier and Walker, uh, because I know yeah. you were on Monday's podcast, but Walker wasn't getting many plaudits from anyone really before, which was part of the reason why I guess people were so pleased that Reese James was coming in. Yeah, thing is, I you can't really turn around and say that Reese James had a much better day in the office. No, no. Um, so I'd rather go with the more experience um, in there. And, you know, Walker is a good player. We've seen what he can do. And in all fairness, if you, if you want to inject a bit more aggressive, if you want to inject some aggression and a bit more speed, Walker's your man there. Not saying that, um, not, not saying that um, uh, you, other options aren't going to provide that. I just think he is the best, most reliable option for that. Um, so, yeah. Reliability. If you were going going with form, do you think there's an argument for Southgate to stick with Luke Shaw at left back and go Trippier at right back? Do you know that's not a bad shout? Um, It's not a bad shout. It's just, I am a believer in 
when it comes to international tournaments, you you the squad really needs to be built as the I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but they don't have obviously as much time as you know when you're at club football and you build the squad, the squad builds through the tournament. So you're running out of time to make these chops and changes. And, it, you know, you could switch, you could line them up like that in the next game and they could have a great game and then be terrible the next game. It's, I think you've got to try and build in some kind of consistency in this point in the tournament now. Um, I, was re- I, I was really surprised at the double switch against Scotland, um, in all honesty. I think if the result in the first game hadn't been a win, I don't think he would have made that switch and it, unless it was well something obviously drastic was needed but i i think i i think you go with the the guys in the first lineup uh, the the lineup in the first uh, in the first match uh, right and left back I, I just you need to start building some consistency and for all we've said about the way that southgate's lining this squad up and the tactics that he's playing with it's getting a bit late in the day now to make any drastic changes and for it to work success- successfully. So, yeah, I'm just going to be boring and go with just stick with the more reliable option in the first game that we won against right. arguably a better side. TK, a couple of questions for you then. So, um, who do you think going into tomorrow's game is more at risk of losing their place in the starting eleven, Raheem Sterling or Kelvin Phillips? Hmm, uh, I don't think either of them are. Um, if Henderson's close to fit, I'll say Phillips because he might want to change it up. I, I don't think he would drop either of them at the minute. Okay. Um, and do you think Harry Maguire comes in tom- tomorrow? And if so, do you think it's for Mings or Stones? Uh, I would assume he'll try and get in some minutes and it'll be for Mings. He hasn't done badly. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. In all honesty, he, he's in a catch-22 with his Czech Republic game, to be honest. Because uh, if you go out and you do a job on them, it's going to be, well, great, you're top of the group, now go play a good team and we'll probably get a hide-in. If you don't put in a performance this kind of negativity we've got around the team continues and we yeah. might get spared for one extra round. It's uh, yeah. he's in a tricky spot. The other question I have for you was regarding Kane. I know we spoke about it a lot last week, but I saw an interview, I know they're doing the kind of the daily interviews with the England camp, uh, both on their Twitter and uh, they're letting the media in. There was one with Phil Foden, I think it was uh, on Sunday maybe, where they asked him and they kind of put the Harry Kane question to him again. And they kind of pressed him more than you'd expect. And they said, how much of the blame do you personally take for Harry Kane's performance? Because he tried to say, look, Harry Kane is one of the best players in the world. Um, it's on us to kind of provide him the service. And so the journalist flipped it and said, all right, then how much blame do you have to take personally for it? And they kind of pushed him into taking, well, yeah, I guess I need to take quite quite a large brunt of it because I've not put any chances on for it. Do you think that's fair? Do you think Kane's been there, I guess, to take the chances when they've been there? Do you think there's a lack of clarity maybe from the fact that we, we don't have a, a solid start in three that, until we've kind of gone into the tournament? Do you think that's on Foden? Do you think it's on Kane if you had to kind of portion the blame 
more one side or the other. Right, a bit to unpack it. So I would say AJ was probably about right with the percentages he was handing out earlier. I thought that was probably about right. Uh, fascinated by the idea that um, nothing is Harry Kane's fault and it's the entire rest of the team's fault. Equally fascinated by the idea that it's, in, that it's the other way around. Uh, I think both are wrong. I think everybody was just bad. Uh, we didn't give him any service and yet how many times he kept coming back and was about well, the halfway line. And sometimes a, a fullback would pick up the ball and look look up to try and get a ball in where they might normally. As Jack said, Reese James kind of his bread and butter normally. And Kane wasn't even in the box anyway. So even if he wanted to, it doesn't no. matter. So, yeah. you know, this this kind of thing that St. Harry Kane can't do anything wrong is a little bit bizarre to me. He, he is having a shock. You can't watch those two games and arrive at any other conclusion. No, you're right. It's um, not... It's not his game. It's a balance right between dropping in and, and getting up there. And I'm partly sympathetic with him that he doesn't have the same situation as he's got with Spurs, where I've said before that we need to get runners past and to get legs around him. But he's kind of making it a bigger problem by what he's doing currently. Because um, from what we've learned, maybe pretty much in the last hour, is it looks unlikely that Mason Mount will be playing tomorrow um, for those that haven't seen it. England have kind of put him and Chilwell to self-isolate now that Billy Gilmore's tested positive for COVID and uh, we had all the footage of them pretty much as all over him as you could be after the game um, like he was their little dog or something I think ruffling his hair and all sorts so when that footage was so widespread I mean the camera was on them for a considerable amount of time they said that those two have to isolate Chilwell has been isolated from the squad pretty much since game one anyway. Mount, however, has been the complete opposite. <laughs> Who do we think is the most likely person to come in and replace it? Is it a case of he does a flat three in midfield and Henderson comes in? Is it as simple as you bring Grealish in? Does he bring Rashford in onto the other wing and Foden comes into the Mount position? There's a lot of options that we could have. What do you think should be done and what is the most likely for Southgate to do who's going first jump in I mean I feel the right one for me what I would pick is Grealish on the left Foden on, in the middle and then Sancho on the right and just run with it see what we can do given given all starts in that position what I think Southgate will probably do is Foden in the middle Rashford on the left and then Sterling on the right. That's what I feel that he'll do. What about you two? Yeah, I'll, I'll, agree, I'll agree with Jack in terms of what I think Southgate will do. Uh, what I, would do I would probably... I mean, either or in terms of putting Grealish or Foden in there, but just for, so I guess, minimal uh, impact, I will put Foden into the mount position and put Sancho out on the right just to... Because I think Sancho does need to start and just see what he could do. Uh, and having Foden in the middle like that, I think, should work nicely. Uh, I mean, in my in my book, I then also have Sterling off for Grealish, but I know Southgate is not doing that radical a change. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm similar. Add, sorry, it's just as well. What... Yeah, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to go. What sorry. Jack was saying before with the uh, with the situation with Rice and Phillips, I've, I thought I didn't have any problem with him starting with that, but... This is where we talk about in-game management in terms of, I think you can see, right, we need something different. I thought any number of options on the bench could have could have sufficed. So I thought, for example, you could have put Bellingham on as an obvious one. 
even Henderson would have brought more energy as a midfield. I've seen him do it for Liverpool prior where with and without him, you can see a difference. And we needed a bit more of that. Or even dropping someone like Mountain deeper because we've seen him play there and then putting someone like Grealish on up front just to broaden the options a bit. I just feel like because Southgate kind of can't see it during the game, I do think that's potentially where he could be separated from the better managers. I think I didn't have too much of a problem with the team he lined up with. So, you know, if we got a result, I wouldn't have been slating that team. But it's in the game, he doesn't seem to be able to adapt. Well, putting Rashford on, I can understand why he did it because we're looking to get him behind, so it makes some level of sense. But then by not having Kane up front, you don't have a focal point to work with anyone. We know Rashford can't play through the middle on his own. So there's all little things that you kind of think, if if we can kind of see that, I find it odd that the England manager doesn't. Yeah. Take uh, Mount out, Foden into the middle, Bakayo Saka on the right, it's coming home. They, you don't need to bring you don't need to bring Mount back in after that. It's all sorted. What I think what I he'll do. What what I think he'll do is I I think he'll bring in uh, Jude Bellingham and he'll keep Foden out on the right and he'll just do Bellingham for uh, Mount and he'll play a more flat midfield free and kind of have them switching around like you had Phillips going forward more in the first game. I think you'll just see those two probably in front of Rice, so kind of like a 4-2-3-1, but like a I guess 4-1-2-1-2 forward 4-3-3, just with a DM basically. <laughs> I, I, I was making that more uh, complex <laughs> than it needs to be. Yeah. Alex, uh, what do you think before we move on? I'd, I'd, li- I'd like to see what Jack said at the start. I, I, I want to see Sancho get in there and I want to see what he's like alongside Grealish and Foden. I think that's the most exciting way you can line up the squad. But as you said, it's not going to happen. Um, I think as exciting as it gets, as Bullingham gets in um, and he does line up in more of a flat, flat three, like you've just said. Um, but I have a feeling, like TK said, it's going to be uh, Rashford um, and uh, Sterling that make the starting lineup. Um, I think obviously Henderson gets back in if he's remotely fit. Um, otherwise, what literally what is the point in taking him? Um, apart from I don't know a change room effect. It, um, sorry, but he's just he's not going to do he's he's not going to do what we want him to do, which is just I mean arguably this is your game to we're through. We're through to the next round. I'm pretty sure it's pretty yeah. almost mathematically yeah, yeah. impossible if it's to be. Is it is it mathematically impossible? We're for through. Us to be yeah, out? we're through. Yeah, we're through. So this is your game. If you're gonna, this is your last chance to to try anything new. I know. I know. I was saying that you know at this point in the tournament you need to try to be firm in it, firming up what the squad's going to do. But where the isolation protocol has forced your hand a little bit to make some pretty important changes because without question Mount does. You know, he is was a firm starter for the squad. I um, you know, I, I, it opens the floor up to have a little bit of an experimentation at no risk of being accused of making a terrible decision. Um, what you said about experimentation there, I think it kind of ties in to what um, TK said earlier about the uh, kind of negativity. Is they've kind of painted this picture that they're really insulated and their attitude doesn't change determining what the fans say or what the media say. And if that is the case, then I agree with what you said there, Alex, in terms of it is a free hit in terms of 
this is the last chance for you to kind of make these changes and see how things work. If they truly are as insulated as they say they are, if it's the other way around and Southgate, and this is where he has to be the manager there, can sense that these things are uh, kind of getting to the players, whether it's Kane's attitude, whether it's Sterling or whoever, then I think you go with what he thinks he's going to be using later in the tournament. But I guess it's down to him to make that decision and make the right one, which will be interesting as we see further in the tournament. There's there's no way that like all of the players in that squad are going to be exposed to all of the opinions that are going on outside at the moment. Don't care. Doesn't matter what protocol. Being exposed, yeah, but in terms of being affected by it, like oh yeah, if he maintains the attitude, is still fine. Which is in some cases we've seen like we've seen teams before like where they take all sorts of abuse and doesn't make a difference. You've seen others where I've seen with Arsenal plenty of times you see a certain player get levels of abuse. I mean, it's not ideal, but when you play this badly, sometimes it happens. And then you see they go out on the pitch and they play scared. So there are it's certain lot to him of, to judge it, isn't it? A lot of the key characters in this squad, though, are young and inexperienced and haven't had a great deal of exposure to this. Say, if you were to compare it to, like, yeah, like when you compare to the likes of like Henderson, who's had a lot of exposure to it, Kane. Um, and uh, and Maguire, but you know, you could argue as well. It's it's I, where the where the um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The the young nature is not the word, but the young nature of the squad. I mean, I, I don't think the word insul like protected and insulated is you know is is going to fit. Well, I, I don't think they're coming across that way anyway. I, like remote, not even remotely. I don't don't think I've seen a single interview so far. Of where I've looked at you, think yeah, you're pretty sound, like solid, headstrong. Nothing's going to affect you. Um, so I guess uh, yeah. we'll have to wait and see how these uh, things go. We don't have long to wait, as we have tomorrow, and then um, I guess a good time to say now. If England do finish second in the group, then they will play next Monday. And if it, that is the case, then uh, the podcast will be doing Tuesday. And if it's uh, if we play Tuesday, then it'll be Monday. So uh, just put that out there now. Other teams to go through, and obviously there's more to say on some than others. France, since we last did uh, a podcast, TK, they've played twice. So they looked solid against Germany and then didn't finish against Hungary. Um, if you're a France backer, um, I know Rory is. Having seen the Hungary game, should that worry you at all, or is it just one of those games? It's funny, isn't it, the contrast between our reaction to England's failure at Scotland and their failure at Hungary. Um, in terms of hitting the panic button for us, and I, I do just think, having watched a bit of the game, well, having watched the game, but having watched a bit of France in general, I feel that like there's a bit of playing with their food going on with some of these teams. Even even against Germany, I felt a bit. Bear in mind, in the second half, they really didn't come out and do anything. I feel like they kind of are in second or third gear and at the minute don't really need to go through the gears. Uh, I guess at least they were creative the contrast, as well. I'm like... sure if... Yeah, I'm not sure if England have more gears, I guess, is the contrast. No. Just something that's just come out, um, whatever you want to take from it. ITV have just put out news on their end saying they understand that Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell's self-isolation has nothing to do with any close contact on the pitch at the end of Friday's match. 
So I don't know what else it could be. I mean, unless they were shacking well, up they with Gilmore to? after the game. Um, I mean, we have heard of some things happening in England camps before. Um, Lampard, I believe, was one of the ones in, uh, involved there. <laughs> um, not the one you're thinking of, Alex. Um, I'm Ashley Cole and their uh, mobile phones, allegedly. Um so interesting that the whatever the case is there. Um and Chilwell was in training earlier. There's pictures of him and Mount training earlier. So this really does make no sense. Um so I guess kind of ignore everything we've said and anything that's been said elsewhere. Um because I guess no one has a clue what's going on. France are creating chances. They look like they've got plenty of things going elsewhere. There just seems to be this kind of beef in the media that's being kept up almost by their own media in an English style where it's almost like self-sabotage where every time they have Giroud or Mbappe, they're like, so are your two mates, by the way? Do you want to uh, tell us any more about what's been going on there? <laughs> if you were... Did you watch France Hungry Jack? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just, no, yeah, no, I did. I did watch okay, it. Okay, so if you were, were in charge of UEFA, was Griezmann's celebration enough to kick them out of the tournament? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> I just... It's just so... That's not what you want to see. Put it that He's way. He's a right bastard with them celebrations. He's such, such a cringy guy, isn't he? I know. Well, I said, haven't I? Well, I, I was at the Emirates when we had him in the semi-final and he did that shitty Fortnite celebration with the L right in front of me in the corner, <laughs> dancing up and down after a 90th minute winner. That, that one was quite good, I thought. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I wonder why that one was a bit different. <laughs> in the I, same I gonna, group... Sorry. I was just going to say, like, going back to what TK said, where this does... Look, it just smacks of their not really up for it yet. They kind of come alive in the like knockout stages. They've got gears to go through and they will go through them, whereas the worry with England is that we look spent already. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, um, if you were in the shoes of that woman sat at the table when Hungary scored, would you have been more or less terrified than she clearly was? Uh, I think I'd be... <laughs> I think it'd be more more terrified. That was great, wasn't it? Seeing, uh, and I, I'm not going to go the full way that every TV pundit does, but seeing a full stadium celebrate like that, I guess kind of they were teased, weren't they, in the Portugal game where they nearly went ahead first, and then very quickly it was ruled out for offside. This time they get the goal. And you do see the full stadium of 60,000 people or whatever it is go nuts. And the players uh, lived up to that entirely. So it was, it was Saturday was probably the best day of games that we've had in stark contrast to Friday. Because we also had then Portugal. So it looked like it was going to go similar to the way that it did in the Hungary game, where it kind of took Hungary to get going to wake them up and after pulling away late against Hungary, Germany had all of the ball early on and then in one swift counter-attack that was ridiculous what was it, like 14 seconds or something from the corner at the other end and Ronaldo's put it in the back of the net and it looked like Portugal was showing to be the team that 
many tipped them to be beforehand when you look at that kind of selection of players they have. What we didn't have in mind was that Germany were going to give it the Roy Jones you almost have forgot because they turned up out of nowhere, kind of took Portugal scoring them for them to go up another notch and they sure just don't count us out just yet. They looked so good as well. They looked like they were carving them open at every given more, opportunity. It? it was just insane. They didn't look bad against France, did they? They just didn't look like scoring. Mm. Yeah, I think they've had a, a game and a half of playing really well. I thought that second half against France, they were really good. They were just against a good team. And then even to, to build on Jack's point, even when Portugal got that first goal, that was against the run of play. Germany had been all over. Yeah, yeah. Havertz shone again, didn't he? He also, as involved as he was, almost looked like a guy that couldn't be any less bothered with anything that he was doing. Like, yeah. He, he was hardly celebrating even when there was the own goal, when there was the one that he did put in the back of the net himself. He, he looked like he was kind of giving it, a, I don't know what, it's just another day at the office kind of thing. I've scored in the Champions League final now. This is this is light work to me. He does smack of Berbatov, doesn't he? He's just... Everything about him is effortless. I don't think he, like, Berbatov looked like a guy that wasn't putting the effort in and the effortless composure. Havertz, I don't think he's there yet in terms of, like, you have no doubt that he's going to do it. We know he has the ability to do it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not closing my eyes when he's through on goal. Yeah. I meant just more of... Just laid back. More that he has on the actual pitch. What we've said is that that can also be to his detriment because earlier in the season when he had that same demeanour he was getting stick for the same thing wasn't he because it looks exactly. like you're not trying and Ertzel used to have the same thing like he could be running more yards than anyone on the pitch which was the case sometimes but his demeanour was enough for it to be yeah alright fair enough get off you're not trying Kimmich Klopp spoke before the game and it's always a bigger thing when Klopp speaks particularly with Germany and he kind of gave it the, I'm not going to say what Germany should do, but this is the entire team that I would pick, the midfield that I would do, this is how it would work. <laughs> and he got a lot of stick, particularly over here. Um, I don't know if it's because he's Liverpool or just his personality. People really don't seem to like him, especially on Twitter. But he got a lot of stick for coming out and saying that this is what he would do, saying he was getting involved in the squad. There was no need for him to be kind of doing this kind of thing. And then I guess it backfires even more when Germany then go on and put out the performance that they do with the team that he was saying wouldn't work so well as what he was putting together. Probably just a a question, TK, where he's better off saying, look, I'm not the manager of Germany. Ask him. You can pretty much much rinse and repeat for every faux pas Klopp's ever had, I think, is a... That's a really honest opinion. I'd have preferred it if you didn't give it, or if you just kind of kept it to yourself. But as ever, it's also one of those things that, is it really a particularly big thing? Or is it just that the Liverpool manager that people don't particularly like because he's a Liverpool manager? Over there, it seems to be a bit of a thing. I don't know know how they took it over there when he left Dortmund, if it was kind of it. Because I've joked in it before that he kind of he, he quit on them. I'm sure there was a lot more to it than that. But I don't know how he's perceived over there in the press because if, if we saw someone, I can't think of uh, a reasonable example here, but 
I, I don't know. Say say Pardew, and this is a very rash. I'm just trying to think of an English manager, basically. <laughs> I'm not for one minute saying Pardew and them are, are in the same... Similar. Well, Similar. We, had, we had Lampard um, in, in the punditry. Say Lampard wasn't on it, and he just kind of got asked in an interview, what do you think? And he said, well, this is what I would have done. This is the midfield I would have done. He's going to get a lot of stick because they're going to say, look, just this isn't you doing it. Uh, it's hard to find a comparative because Klopp is this kind of yeah figure. But we, I, I essentially, don't, I don't we know. don't have an English manager at that level, do we? No, no I don't know how but, to compare it, but most would be told, Come, just keep your nose out. Like, Yeah, for sure. They, they would have been told to keep their nose out. Again, I, I think if, if Lampard had said who he would have played, I wouldn't have particularly seen that as a controversial thing to do. If he's asked for his opinion, he gives it. I don't really see that as a huge thing, but yeah, I, I'm sure people would have batted him for it because that's what people like to do. Yeah, um, like the main thing over there, isn't it, is whether Kimmich should be in midfield or whether he should be a right back. I know when we did our preview pod, we essentially said, look, he probably is better to be in midfield for them, but they have such a gap at right back that they kind of have to play in there. Kind of similar with what they've had to do with Alaba in Austria. Um, like when you're winning games, it's not an issue. When you're losing games, it's going to be an issue. And that's Essentially the, issue the opposite there. problem to us. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. If Klopp had answered the question after a win, it probably wouldn't have been an issue. It's the fact that he answered it after you've just lost 1-0 to France and you're going into a big game against Portugal. But they did look very good. Like It's not so much, I think, when we did the preview pod, and I don't want to put words in people's mouth, I'm not sure if it was you, Jack, that said, well, I'd be more than happy for us to play Germany at, at the moment as, as kind of they're looking. And I don't know if it <laughs> was you or not. Am I putting... Um, I think we just mentioned them losing 6-0 six, six to... Uh, I can't remember if I said those exact words, but I wasn't going to be adverse to facing them. I mean, like I said... We were all quite bullish before in our preview pod before we got into... The tournament, so I wouldn't hold it against you if you did. Oh, I was. I, I right mean, Germany, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'll someone pretty much said, "Look, I'm not scared if we get them in in, in the second <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our turkey, our turkey prediction is probably. I mean, oh, that's as it comes. Oh, that dark horse show it has not aged well whatsoever. No, uh, I did say I'm... never rule out the Germans. Oh, what a bold prediction from you, Alex. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Um, the Poland one isn't looking much better than your Turkey one, so there is balance. Give it time. Yeah. Lewandowski, Lewandowski can still score, I don't know, six goals in the final final match of the group. Well, a team that uh, have been outperforming what we expected of them beforehand are Wales. Um, after... A, a dull game against Switzerland in the Adam, opening fixture. Yeah. So to cut you off, who would who would you rather face then for England? Assuming France aren't the, aren't the pick out of Germany or Portugal, who would you rather we faced? I'd probably still rather face Germany, and that's largely because interesting. I think Germany. I don't know actually. Questions over the team. I've just got these images of Ronaldo doing that stupid celebration in my head. Yeah. (laughs) While we've got like Harry Maguire sinking his head down and his chest behind him. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally it because I'm quite burnt by Germany, as I've said many times before after 2018. So 
I'm kind of just letting them get on with their business. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think Love feels the same by the fact that he hasn't started Timo um, you know, for the majority of games since. <laughs> he's done the old sniff, the old scratch and sniff again. Look, you don't want to scratch that too much. That stinks. There, I know you should know when you're on TV. But there are just a weird group of people that do always have their hands done their trousers. Like, yeah. I don't know why people, it was even weirder in school because it was like, why are you doing this? Particularly in sixth form when you can wear joggers. Like, there's some people that just do walk around with their hands done their trousers. Like, is it just don't sniff your fingers after? Like, I don't know what he's playing at. One springs to mind, he used to walk around, like, not even just hands down his trousers, inside his boxes as well. Yeah. Oh, like, you just used to walk it, around the playground with it. Yeah, it at least change. pretend at least pretend like you're itching your nose or something. Like he's so blatant with it. Like it, it's like he clearly just doesn't care. <laughs> he he's got skeletons in his closet, that bloke, for sure. <laughs> just looking at him, you just that's the least of our worries with him, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, if it if it wasn't that he'd done it before, we could kind of be like he knows he's, he's his last days on the job now and he's kind of got his feet up on the desk. He just doesn't really care anymore. <laughs> but this is very much like... This is just who he is. <laughs> um, Wales. Character. Yeah, pretty much. Wales then. Um, dull against Switzerland. Switzerland and Sweden do seem to have that effect um, on whoever they're playing. Bale and Ramsey kind of took it upon themselves and not to write off anyone else in the team because they played well as a collective. But they showed up for that Turkey game like they meant business, like there was no fear there um, as to who they were playing. They didn't bear in mind any of the dark horse shouts, which was, wasn't was just us. I think we probably picked it up. Other people convinced us enough that we were confident enough to roll with it. They look well drilled. Everyone knows their job. And as I imagine we'll say when we get to the basketball later, TK, and as I used to say, why it was so successful when you had Coquelin and Cazorla in midfield was essentially one man knew, get the ball to the other one. I have no need to have this at my feet when you've got someone there that can do that. And essentially the Wales team pretty much knows. Why would you keep it at my feet when you've got Bale or Ramsey there that could do things that I couldn't dream of? And then you see the combination they have for the opening goal, the Bale long-range pass, Ramsey one touch into the corner. That's all you need, really. That's all you're asking for in your big games is for your big players to step up, and they've done just that. Yeah, I mean, I mean without, without wishing to sort of, uh, sort of ruin international football for anyone, but it seems like everyone knowing their job, keeping it tight and waiting for your two or three special players to do something. Is kind of the formula for most teams. And so it doesn't seem to work that part. way for others, though, does it? Like... But, but, but I mean, I don't mean necessarily in terms of winning a lot, but in terms of if you're going to look to progress, yeah, it tends yeah. to be these teams, how these teams sort of get through. That is tends to be the formula. Ironically, Bale and Ramsey obviously missed their best chances against Italy. They had two real good chances. I just mean to like but, less uh, success we've seen, say, Poland struggled to get Lewandowski into the first game and he struggled to get him largely into the second game. He just happened to take the chance that he did. Um, and we've seen with other teams that, I mean, we struggled to get our best players on the ball. Like Wales have done a good job of keeping things tight long yeah, enough for those to do the job. Exactly. They, know, they each know their job, don't they? And even like someone like uh, Kiffin Moore, who yeah. he's 
perfect for just holding the ball up and, and bringing others into it. He's he's done a good job for that as well. So, um, uh, and if I'm right in saying, I think they can get a half decent draw, can't they? Yeah, because they they play second, so they'll play um, either Spain, Poland, or uh, I looked at this earlier. Who's in that group? Oh, I was thinking. I thought, Sweet, I thought uh, Sweden. So whoever comes so, out, of, right? I mean, that's not that's not bad, is it? You could no. You could get a good draw there. So how shocked they can were you? Further than us, for fuck's sake. Yeah, how shocked will you be if Kiefer Moore doesn't end up at Burnley next season? Because <laughs> I mean, I the think... writing's on the wall there. Like, you, like how Robson Carney got a move after uh, the World Cup, didn't he? He went to to West Brom at the time. No, he was at yeah, Re- yeah. he was at Reading, not getting a game, and then he went to West Brom, wasn't he? Yeah, he definitely went somewhere. That's what yeah, I mean. He, he went somewhere. He's a free after. agent going into the tour, wasn't he? he didn't ah, okay. Club, and, then he, and then he went to... Then. Yeah, I think West Brom. Um, yeah, there was a stat where the percentage of people that had bought Kiefer Moore on Football Manager had gone at nearly 400% since the first group stage game. <laughs> Strangely, <laughs> pe- the amount of people that had bought Christian Eriksen also went up 300%. So... Uh, it felt like people were trying to play with him maybe well they felt they could was seemingly the way that was going there um, someone I had down here um, there clearly is a player in Dan James as we've seen in the opening games and I don't mean this in an insulting way at all He he's just not a Man United level one and there's no shame in that like he kind of is a kind of standard Premier League player, like you, he wouldn't look out of place. Yeah. Like if if I saw him on the wing at Everton week in week out, I wouldn't be shocked by that. He's a guy who you're gonna have to pay attention to because of his speed. Like the quality of his final ball is often made up for by the fact that the defender may not be there to catch up with what he's doing. Like he's a decent level player and this shows at international level because outside of Bale and Ramsey, essentially he's their out ball, isn't he? From the first minute to the last minute, you bang it out of the touchline to him and you, you hope that he can kind of get a half-decent ball at the end of it. He'd do well in a Bielsa Leeds team, wouldn't he? Mm, Just legs. Yeah. I mean, he's, again, he's perfect for as well. You think how often they're sort of fenced in. Yeah. And they just need someone just to carry the ball up. I mean, like you said, he he often does fail to use it properly. I, I can't remember who who they were playing, but he had one where he rinsed like two people for pace and the easy thing to do was turkey to cross and, and he some and he got it wrong and you think that was the easy yeah. part. I don't understand how you've you've got that part wrong. Yeah, he massively but, overhit it. Um Yeah, that that was it, yeah, over the red, didn't he? Well he could have played it along the floor. Yeah. Yeah, he's strange but I know you kind of need to apply some tournament tax to some of these players. Like, um, we'll get onto the Netherlands, but like Dumfries looks great. I don't think he's going to look that great week in, week out. Um, or you, you don't often get to 25 years old before someone else spots you. But this happens. Like Patrick Schick looks like one of the most dominant forwards that you can see in some of the games he's played here. Also, that's not the case. I mean, he was a Wolves for a considerable period of time, and they didn't do him good enough to. They couldn't find a seller for him at first, so they had to loan him out until uh, they could find one. 
So that is a great part of the tournament, though, isn't it? Is that yeah, yeah. Some ran- random players that just turn up and have an absolute scream. And you're going to overspend on someone, and it can go the opposite way. So <laughs> beforehand, I mean, we saw the Harry Kane, didn't we, before 2018? Signs his contract before. And I've got to think a part of that is because you, you take the money while it's there. You're not backing yourself to go on and have the performance that he did because obviously he could have demanded a lot more money afterwards. But these, these mean, things that, happen. There's not backing yourself and then there's that, isn't it? That's a yeah. shocker of a decision. I mean, it, it, get, it looks worse the more and more you look at that. Well, Arsenal because... signed Andre Arshavin on the, on the back end of Euro 2008. This is just how these things work. Like, and you say about 1828 at that point. Yeah, yeah. All it takes I mean, you is one game, as kind of cliche as it is, <laughs> to put yourself on the map. <laughs> Liverpool signed half the Senegal squad in 2002. If it wasn't weird for every Italian player to seemingly have no aspirations outside of joining Juventus, then I think <laughs> the race for Locatelli would be far more than it is. He's been in with Arsenal, he's been in with Liverpool. Like, there should be a big race in for him. It just happens that you listen to the Italian press you know, you get those transfers where they're like, this isn't a case of like when, of if it happens, it's a case of when, before even a fee's been agreed. Like, they're not even entertaining other rumours over there. They're just like, oh, when he joins Juventus, this is what's going to happen. Um, that Italian side, though, weirdly, every pundit seems to be like shitting on them as much as they can, talking about the quality of opposition they've had. They were talking about the amount of goals they scored as if they haven't scored seven goals in three games. And, um, the last game, they've rotated their, eight of their players and changed the keeper at the end of the game because they were that comfortable. They look sensational. They, they haven't conceded in over a thousand minutes. Now that Verratti's fit, they can have a midfield three of Verratti, Locatelli and Barella, which is ridiculous. Goals can seemingly come from anywhere from their fullbacks. They've got centre-backs that can contribute to set pieces. Uh, Immobile, we'll see as we go on, but he's certainly dangerous enough to make you pay attention to him. And they just look like a club side, which they always say is the best compliment you can pay to an Italian side, uh, to an international side, sorry. No, I agree. I mean, I looked at that first game and I watched the first game against Turkey and I yeah. thought, this is either Turkey being really bad or them being really good. I mean, the right back, <laughs> the, the right back for Turkey went completely walkabouts with like two of their goals. Which yeah, is we'll link with him if uh, if you're interested. Exactly, challenge. Fifteen million from Lille. It was like wide open. That's how they scored their first two goals, and I just I looked at it and they people the kind of indie take was that Italy should be the team to watch because of how well they've been playing, how well Mancini's got them playing, and like you said, how they look like a club team. And I guess it's not until you see it in the flesh you realise that, oh shit, yeah, hang on a minute. They've gone, com- they've flown completely under the radar here. And it, there, there is something to be said about they've played, what, Turkey and Wales. And we've just seen France draw with Hungary, we've seen Spain draw with Sweden. Like... England draw with Scotland, yeah, I get it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I get we it. shouldn't hold that against them. No, for not, us, at we're saying... not at all. <laughs> I think I'd like to see them come up because against a decent team because I feel like they play with no fear, which is the exact opposite of how I see us playing. And if a team plays without fear, then they are exciting to watch because they will do more. 
Is there any team in the tournament at the moment that you would confidently back against Italy? I'd probably... Not just that you think win, but confidently, you would confidently pick to beat them. I'd, I'd say France. And you'd confidently probably, go into that, having seen both of them. I, yeah, I think I would. I still think France would do them on the day. I, I, I disagree. I disagree. I don't think there's a team, based on what we've seen so far, I don't think there's a single team in the tournament that you com- like comfortably yeah, back. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, going to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm kind of pretty sure, like, where you can be pretty sure of a result. I couldn't go into that, like, because if you look just as dangerous as France, and well, they defended better, clearly, so. Mm. We'll, we'll see how we go okay, there. I get, um, I get your point. I will point out that I did pick them to win the tournament, um, and I will stick by that, so. Uh, we'll have that one on record, not like Alex's uh, made up Fantasy League win of uh, 2010, <laughs> the, I believe uh, he's saying. I, I can't believe this. It was the Brazil World Cup and I won it. I will not have this. I don't know if this was like a league with just your brothers in. Like... No, it wasn't. It was a, it was a standard, it was a, it was the standard Sun uh, Dream Team. It was a, we were all in the, in the league. You, you pushed me to the end, right at the very end. If it weren't I mean, for um, Muller in the, in the final, he I mean, I'm pretty me sure you point. had three DMs in. No, you're thinking of um, the, you're thinking of the tournament before that, I'm pretty sure. Well, I didn't know you in 2008, so I definitely wasn't thinking of that. <laughs> it, it wasn't too... I'm talk, Brazil wasn't... Well, I didn't know you. Um, yeah, tournament before 2010 was 2008. Brazil wasn't 2010. Yeah, it's 2014. I thought you said 2010. Okay, 20, you definitely didn't win 2014. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I definitely did. I, I invented like an alternative round here. I haven't read no reference from any. No, no. Um, yeah, this is very strange. Um, if we move on from Italy, uh, the only other sides I really had to say much about was Sweden. Well, as I mentioned before, I didn't realise you could make football this boring. Like I've seen boring football, and then there's this. And this is with a guy in uh, Isaac or Isaac, however, you, however you want to say it who looks like one of the most exciting players in the tournament once he's on the ball. But as a, as a collective, they're truly horrific. I've always hated Sweden. I'll get it on the table now. Just thank God Ibrahimovic isn't in that team. It'd be even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought they may even top the group. So, uh, obviously it works, but it's pretty horrific. Um, finally, Spain, the other team I think is worth talking about. Morata must be giving Jack PTSD every time he watches Spain. <laughs> oh, I know. And when they mentioned that by the end of the summer, over two hundred million in transfer fees will have been spent on him, it it really does make you feel worthless because if he's worth two hundred million, we've got to be worth at least a couple. Or at least the podcast gets bought out by someone. Like, if money's just getting chucked around like that, like we can't even get one of their Manscaped sponsorships, which seemingly get, get tossed around on every podcast you listen to. They they took a look at us and thought, no, 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 <laughs> they're not going to happen for us. This this Spanish side is the absolute worst of tiki tacker on display. It's literally passing with no purpose. 
it ties in nicely with uh, Thiago, who did an interview the other day about hating modern football. I'm not surprised when you see what he's putting up with in this team. It's so bad. And even at the end of it, when you do one of them needless 50-pass moves, which I've seen Arsenal do a few of down the years, and City did a few this season. When you get to the other end after that, it's so bad. How many times do you reckon they've done them dressing room videos where they're all kind of heading it between each other into the bin and he gets to Morata at the end and he's heading out the door? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that him, move. that penalty rebound was so bad. That, oh. That's the one that summed him up the most. That's the one I think of when I, th- I think of Chelsea. It was the one in the first game that was bad as well. Where I think I just tweeted at the time, Morata's going to Morata. Like, at this point... Can you be angry at him? Like he's shown you what he is. Like it's not his fault anymore. Like he he can do no more than show you what he's going to do consistently. It's true, and like Morata underperforms his xG. I saw this stat. He performed underperforms his xG per season by like eight goals, and it's I would surprise it's not higher, but that's still a lot for xG. Can you believe Aubameyang outscored his last season? Well, I'd throw the stat in the bin. Oh, no account. Yeah. He's been playing football on his holidays, by the way. He's pulling himself out onto the left wing even then. <laughs> I mean, his finishing looks a bit better, though. That's all I can take. The last thing I had then before me and TK get into some basketball is I've got some transfer gossip to uh, reel off to all of you. So please give me your instant reaction to all of them. So, first of all, Manchester United plan to make France midfielder Paul Pogba the highest paid player in Premier League history with a new £104 million deal. Huge blunder. Huge, huge blunder. <laughs> what has what is he shown Man United over the last five years? Honestly. How, however long Do you he's think they're in a position this? where they've invested enough in him, kind of like we were with Urzel, <laughs> where it's like you can't really let him go. Like You can't let him go on a free. That is true, and I guess that is what's going to take to get him to stay and sign a new deal. But if you're Pogba, surely you're thinking, I haven't exactly been good here, but I don't want to go and shine somewhere else. Yeah, he's also got Raiola in his ear talking about that signing on bonus, I imagine. Mm. They should pull uh, him out. It's, uh, it's bad message as a whole squad. Play like shit and get the best deal. Yeah, Sorry, Manchester United have handed Borussia Dortmund a take-it-or-leave-it offer of £77 million plus add-ons for England winger Jadon Sancho. There's a lot of these take-it-or-leave-it deals in the press at the moment where the selling team would United quite happily leave Sancho. it. Yeah, where the selling team is like, well, yeah, we'll leave it. And like, no, no, honestly, this one is take-it-or-leave-it. They genuinely think, will yeah. leave this one. I think the clubs genuinely don't understand what take it or leave it means <laughs> because take it or leave it is supposed to be a one and done thing. Not yeah. <laughs> take this one, leave it, or we'll come back again. It doesn't really work. No. Um, Jose Mourinho wants to bring former Real Madrid and Spain centre-back Sergio Ramos to Roma. That's a match made in hell, isn't it? Just the <laughs> two bastardry people. Along got that big P at Roma as well. So they might just dish that out. He was linked last season, TK. 
I know Liverpool have just bought Konate. Should they have should they have put the bag on the table for Sergio Ramos just to see what him and Van Dijk is like? I think for the story alone, I think they should have. I think they kind of owed it to us. It would be very much Terminator to Terminator 2, wouldn't it? Where he's just done this turn <laughs> and suddenly he's the good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would enjoy seeing Thiago Silva, Ramos, pensioner backline at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, West Brom have gone down now. You don't have to worry. Exactly, we're fine now. I I, I can really see him at United, um, and I think yeah. if Ramos yeah. is wise, I, I think he'll sign a deal pretty quickly because I think he's a guy that's going to like um, kind of that closure straight away know what he's doing and he can kind of get things prepped but if he waits I think he could get a horrific offer from United on the table that he'll take so it's in his best interest to wait I think it's going to be one of those Edison Cavani situations where they want to go and buy a really class striker this is what I mean yeah but then they wait and wait and wait can't get one so they'll go and sign Ramos Guys, in like switch around to a defender they need this time round, and it'll work out for like a, for the games that he does play. So they like, they paid De Gea and Pogba. Is he going to think of Harry Maguire? Well, they they paid De Gea and Pogba over three hundred and fifty grand a week already. You've got to think Sergio Ramos and his agents can demand at least the same. Well, as in the hundred and fifty. This is the problem you create for yourself. No, three fifty. Like, I, you think he can demand at least three hundred and fifty grand a week from United? That's how much they pay those two players. Uh, De Gea, I believe, at least last season, was the highest paid player in the league. Yeah, wow. I think so. Yeah. That's um, insane. Just not sure how you can come out and be like, I'm not sure how we get hustled every transfer window, and then go and give them that sort of money. It's not. Well, Inter said they needed to clear the wage bill and then they've just given uh, five million a year to uh, Chelhan Oglu to take him from AC Milan on a three-year deal. That's been signed today. Um, So they're they're a team that's the same. And I imagine United are in the same boat this time. Um, Newcastle are weighing up offering a player plus cash deal that would see Joe Willock return after the English midfield a successful loan spell last season. Supposedly they want to offer us Freddie Woodman, the goalkeeper that was on loan at Swansea last season. Um, I could see us taking it if they're going to give us about 15, 20 million on top. But yeah, I, I, I can't see that one. Newcastle are notoriously cheap. And as much as there's some players we're desperate to get off the books, I don't think Joe Willock's one of them. So uh, I think Newcastle have to pay up or not all there. Um, Man City have offered 100 million plus players for Harry Kane, which Daniel Levy has rejected as he plans to keep Harry Kane at the club. Uh, I think... If, that is a, if that's a genuine offer, like we're talking 100 million plus players, note the, note the S there, I think he's silly not to take that deal. But I think from a negotiation tactic standpoint, he has to take that line in terms of he's not for sale. We don't want to sell him. He has to take that line. to get. He has the- to convince the players to come the other way too. I've told you what happened. Yeah. We were linked with um, 
Sterling and Stones coming the other way for Alexis Sanchez and Sterling's agent put out a statement like, yeah, by the way, we, we won't be going anywhere because they were that terrified of being sold to us. Exactly. And that sort of that bringing the players in the opposite direction, you can't see that happening while we're still yet to appoint a manager. So you know, we're a club that holds a bit more prestige than Spurs as well. So you'd imagine Sterling's not going to come to Spurs any sooner than he is Arsenal. <laughs> But uh, John Stones is and Laporte are the ones. Sorry, John Stones and Laporte are the ones that you want to try and get out because. Oh God, yeah. Guys like Bernardo Silva, who supposedly wants out. I think if they don't want to be there, I could see a player like that going somewhere for the cash, and I don't think it ends well. You need people that are going to fully buy in. And yeah. not people that kind of feel like they've been just kind of sold out as part of a deal. Yeah. I do agree. If that's their starting offer, then you're right to reject it because, as we've just said, take it or leave it offers very rarely are just that. So you'd I, imagine they've got more to offer. I, um, I I find it hard to believe that City offered players plus 100 million as well. well so, I, I, supposedly what they've said is like, is 100 million we're willing to give up players like these are the players on the table let us know kind of thing um basically saying like we can do this however you want to do it <laughs> i think they're basically saying we're going nowhere and we've got the resources i think it was a balls on the table kind of uh bid. Mm. much that's, like villa going for ml smith row which i've still not <laughs> got my head around well i saw <laughs> earlier just so i came on um one of them uh, scummy ITK accounts said that Chelsea had just admitted a 35 million plus Jorginho offer for Smith Rowe. I clicked on and they had 65 followers. And I thought, <laughs> Christ, what's going on here? <laughs> what's going on here? Um, uh, Tottenham's new sporting director, Fabio Paratici, is keen to bring in ex-Wolves boss Nuno Espirito Santo as the club's new manager. Um, I meant to ask uh, TK and Jack, have you had the call yet about the Spurs job? I've turned it down already. Yeah. Um, I know Sean has. Just don't know if they've got to you in the alphabet yet. Yeah, I was way up in the pecking order and you know what? Uh, turned yeah. it down. Yeah, exactly. I respect that. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm after Terry Venables, so I'm just going to wait for him to get, <laughs> get rejected and then I'll, uh, I think they ask me. I do wonder where they go next because they've, They've already asked everyone that you can really <laughs> The have. issue is that every manager now knows they are like eighth choice. Yeah. Um, what I'm most looking forward to is the press conference where uh, Levy says, as he has to do, we're thrilled with our appointment, we're pleased to get our man. But everyone in, in the room is going to know that he's lying, including him and the <laughs> new manager. It's just going to be great to see him try and sell that. That Conte said... Tottenham move was dangerous for most people. It was. Um, I'm so glad that fell through. I'm still not ruling out them coming and saying, like, just take the money. Like, just tell us what you want and we'll do it. I still, I don't think he'll go there. He kind of did a statement after. He was like, look, if I don't think the club's offering me um, the right kind of position and they don't have the same mindset as me, then I won't take a job. So Everton fans then thinking they're going to get him was even more baffling. <laughs> Supposedly today, Everton have bunch. called off their uh, pursuit of Rafa after the fans 
uh, rallying against it. I do think at Spurs there's going to be a choice soon where you're going to have to choose between Rafa or Roberto Martinez. <laughs> Who would you choose there, Alex? Because I'm like you said, you don't want any uh, Chelsea leftovers, which we should bear in mind if they do get Rafa. By the way, um, also I'm oh, pretty sure you, you don't want the Wiggins cast-offs either. No, I, I, I don't. What is Paul Jewell doing? <laughs> Best, well, I remember going I used to go to my grandma's every Sunday and she'd give us like uh, a couple of quid each to go to get some uh, sweets or whatever from uh, from the shop and going down there looking at the paper one morning and seeing that Paul Jewell had cheated on his missus with a supermodel <laughs> and, she, and she was the one that had come to the papers about it <laughs> so audacity from it legend um yeah, I, I don't know what happens with, with Spurs next. It's uh, and I don't know if any of you can say different. I've never known a worse, like from a PR perspective, case of trying to appoint the new manager because I know they came out and said they were waiting for the right person, but once you've quite publicly interviewed like four, five, six people, it's a bad look no matter who you get now. <clears throat> Like it was a worse look going for the manager that the manager you sacked in Jose. Yeah, just yeah, that was bad. That is a bad look. It's a bad look that you've gone for Conte and Conte's turned you down because the like the ambitions don't match, which obviously yeah. means that he wants to go and win something and they don't. When we spoke to Evo, the Fonseca one did kind of make sense, and I'm not even saying this in a in a jokey kind of way, but he essentially said he's not a very good manager defensively, but offensively he does play some nice stuff and that's kind of what he's known for which doesn't last very long and the attacking side was pretty much what Levy was promising and so you could see how he could have sold that I don't Spurs fans were pretty much how I was with William when that looked like it was coming to where you're like right this is happening we best convince ourselves now that there's something good can come from this it just so happens they finally convinced themselves and then they pull out of it and try and go for Gattuso which from a neutral's perspective would have been unbelievable especially after that is it Joe Bond's headbutt I can't remember the guy's name Joe Jordan Joe, Joe, Jordan, Joe Jordan yeah, yeah. and then I, I saw all the old, head, old headlines came out by him speaking about women in sports and uh, gay marriage and all sorts and never a good look when uh, quite public and they then go against it there aren't going to be many things left. The good thing for managers is that there's been so many jobs available that they're in a weird position of power where usually they're all kind of having to twerk for the positions. But at the moment, they've had more power than they've ever had before. They can be picky. And I guess the payouts that a lot of these managers have had that are available, they aren't in a rush to accept a new job. So they can quite happily sit in the sun on a nice beach and wait for a job to pop up like Big Sam does uh, every year. At least summer holidays. Then when he gets to Christmas, he gets his money in to uh, get some Christmas presents under the tree. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's going to be... he had enough money from his side hustles. <laughs> yeah. N- Nuno, I think, is, is the one, and I, I think it's a horrible fit, but Nuno is the one who... He's probably the least controversial from a fan's perspective now, but 
does kind of go against everything they said before when you're being <laughs> sacked from Wolves because they don't feel that you're playing nice enough football. It's funny, his stock is probably the season, isn't yeah. it? Because like last season, they were yeah, t- t- yeah. for the Chelsea job, the town for all of this, that and the other, and rightly so at the time. But I, I was campaigning for him to get the Arsenal job on here. I, I mean, I look at it and I think... There weren't many managers I didn't do that for. <laughs> yeah, a team, a team that loses um, Jota and then their top scorer from a head fracture. I mean, he's going to be slightly less expansive football this season. Do you know what I mean? It also went downhill that once they got European football. Spurs have the heap of shit of all European heaps of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean Ndombele. <laughs> <laughs> the problem Spurs find themselves in is that they didn't want Jose, but they don't want anyone that's on offer. Anyway. <laughs> so they're just in this endless cycle where you can propose any manager to them, and they're like, "No, no, I don't want him. I don't want him." It's like it's like yeah. looking at Netflix, isn't it? It's like you know the perfectly good movies. Be like, "Nah, I don't want to watch that. Nah, not that." Yeah. End up yeah. Spending, and end up watching something you don't want to watch, knowing that you don't want to watch it and not appreciating it, and then turning it off halfway through, which is exactly what they're probably going to be left with, with this manager situation, where they'll end up just getting rid, probably, and starting again. I guess Graham Potter is... I guess Graham Potter is still there. It's odd that if Spurs considered him viable, that they wouldn't have spoken to him before now, at least at this stage of the list. In a strange way, it, it does look like Arsenal had at least go in for Ben White and uh, if all things go to plan from their perspective, they're going to sign him for what looks like around 50 million, which from a Graham Potter perspective, maybe one of the best things he could have asked for because he's actually going to have some money to spend. And so that could be something that's going to keep him in a job at Brighton and something that'll give him a bit of interest. So it could be interesting that if you're Spurs, you may want to do that before he has the chance to build something that's his own. Um, because he could have a lot of money to spend this year if you think about Lamptey, Ben White and uh, Bissouma could all be going this summer and they could realistically be looking at upwards of 100 million for the three of them. So the, the Brighton manager turning them down is the only way this recruitment process could get any more humiliating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a headline that but you perhaps didn't expect to see and goes firmly in the lazy journalism camp. Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti could return to former club Everton to try to sign England striker Dominic Calvert-Lewin for 50 million. <laughs> Can you imagine him at the Bernabeu doing then keepy up he's in his unveiling? <laughs> and if you thought that was rash, Real Madrid's big summer signing could be the return of Colombia playmaker James Rodriguez from Everton. Who on earth wrote that headline? <laughs> <laughs> that was on the BBC Sport, and I believe it was Sport Witness, but like the amount of time it took to write that headline it, it, it is a waste of that amount of time. <laughs> I don't know. For a start, how much are they having to pay for him where he's their big summer signing? None of it, just none of it makes sense at all. They've just gone, <laughs> Carlo... He'd liked him at Real Madrid last time. <laughs> <laughs> I do love how Ancelotti's roped in Rodriguez and Alan to this project that he's got going on. Now they're just both stuck in Merseyside. <laughs> <laughs> there were Everton fans while the link was going on saying, 
look, you know, he said he committed to Everton last week, so he's definitely not going to go back to Madrid. <laughs> I saw some saying, why would he want to? I was like, come on, lads, <laughs> just stop it. Yeah. Um, only two more pieces. Paris Saint-Germain have joined Man United in hoping to sign England fullback Kieran Trippier from Atletico. Apparently United have gone in for him and they've been told, yeah, 40 million, please. And uh, they've, they've come back out, but this is a team that paid upwards of fifty million for Wan Bissaka, so watch this space, I guess. <laughs> that that Hakimi on the betting odds. The Hakimi saga is still rolling on, isn't it? Yeah, so it seems and um, this again, um, it sounds like I'm saying it to a fan of the club involved. It seems like he's waiting for PSG to make the bid of eighty million where you'd imagine he's gonna get more wages certainly and a decent living, but he's more than happy if if it doesn't if that doesn't happen for Chelsea to put the money in, which is more likely from his perspective. So he's going to win in both ways. He's going to the Champions of Europe, or he's going to live in uh, lovely Paris. I don't want to be wasting any of that potential Haaland money. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're going all in. I mean, the last bit of uh, gossip we have here is uh, the Sun reporting that Arsenal are prepared to spend nearly 250 million on five new signings this summer and then the the chance to rebuild. They didn't actually. Uh, they just said about rebuilding and restructuring. Um, I am starting to be reeled in that we could be spending cash this window, which <laughs> it's, it's, never, it's, it's, it's never <laughs> it's a good sign. But I do get drawn in. I mean, uh, I'm Googling each day to see what's happening about uh, Laconga from Andalek coming to Arsenal. Never seen him play, but um, <laughs> I'm convinced he's the missing piece of the puzzle from a couple of YouTube compilations and a uh, <laughs> article in a magazine that I get. So keep an eye. Anderlecht uh, captain at 21 years old um, could be the game changer we need alongside Ben White and James Madison, <laughs> who I will shamelessly put an Instagram story with a uh, painting called Madison if that goes through. So uh, wait on that if it does happen. But that is the transfer gossip gone through for this week. Um, do still have a tiny bit of NBA to do with uh, TK. So uh, I'll bid a happy farewell to Jack and Alex. Hopefully we're talking about an England win next week. Hopefully about England into the uh, next round after if uh, we come second place and go through against a nice draw but we'll see how things go hopefully yeah. we're at least not talking about that disgusting man <laughs> farewell boys catch you later adios alright they are both gone so on to the NBA just to close things out won't go through the entire playoffs, but I guess the perfect place to start if we focus much of this conversation around uh, the Bucks eliminating the Nets, uh, the largest super team ever assembled in the NBA. Um, I saw NBA, uh, ESPN say that whatever the flaws of the Bucks, and that there are many of them, this is essentially their golden chance at winning the golden trophy. Best position they've been in since... Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson were playing there in the 1970s and not even they could win a game seven on the road for the Bucks. 
Janice said after the game, we kept our composure through the whole series after he just put up 40 points and 13 rebounds. Um, he said we were down 2-0, we were able to come back. We lost the game being up 15 points in game five and against all odds in game seven, we're able to come here, guard KD and get the win. If we fast forward straight through, uh, we were both up watching this game. Not even at the point where it goes in, at the point where KD takes the shot with one second left, did it very much feel to you as it did for me that once again he is just inevitable? Like he is the Thanos of the NBA. Like you, you <laughs> can't is... run, you can't hide. Like whenever I watch him, I feel that way. I feel like you know when people say like guard, it's like well you can't stop him. You just got to hope everyone else plays yeah. plays badly because he's just. I I actually I will I will fess up now. I had uh, a bet on involved him and. Giannis having over 35 points. And I considered that just like a banker. I was like, well, that's just a given. <laughs> Both of these will hit that. It's insane to say, but you have just no, no doubts watching KD. With um, the way they were playing, I mean, KD very much did put the team on his back. I find it hard to feel too sorry for you when you, you've got a slightly less than best uh, James Harden alongside you, who's fit enough to play uh, 45 minutes or whatever it was. You've got Blake Griffin there, who it seems is a different man to the man that was playing in Detroit. Rejuvenated, yeah. <laughs> and a whole other heap of stars. I mean, it's, it's not the next fault that Kyrie isn't fit. It's probably something they should have seen coming on the way in. <laughs> I find rooting against KD to be more fun than it is rooting against, say, United. Like, United, it's just sheer hatred. Like, they could score a wonder goal, and I have no admiration for it. Uh, they score a Rabona. I'll say, why didn't you use your left foot? Like everything about them is just horrific. With with KD, I do have an admiration there, where it's like you you are just insane. Like I can appreciate what I'm seeing in a in a way that I can't be that objective with uh, other sports stars or teams that I hate. He he is just like you know when you're watching something special before your eyes. Some of what he was doing, including that shot, it, it, it's just insane. Yeah, I, I I do have an irrational level of hatred for him. I do. Um, slightly less on this team than the Warriors, strangely. But it is very reminiscent of when Ronaldo was at Man United, where it was like, I had to acknowledge this was special. And it didn't, you know, didn't change the fact I was appreciating this greatness playing out in front of me. But I... I as I'm watching it, I do feel an irrational level of hatred. It's like I shouldn't be this invested in seeing this guy lose. Yeah, it's insane. I, mean, I think because of his kind of off-court stuff as well, does I do find him a bit of a cringy character. The burner accounts, the kind of the I quite like the burner account thing. I quite like that because I, I know from his perspective, and he does talk trash on Twitter as well. There's some things he can't say, but I imagine his position, it must be the most frustrating thing to see these people say things at you each day, us included, and not be able to say anything back. And I can imagine the level of satisfaction he must get sat there with what was probably a BlackBerry at the time with a different Twitter account logged in, just going back and forth <laughs> with people. He must have had a whale of a time doing that. 
I hope he did. It's just what you just can't be caught doing it. That's the issue. That's the issue. <laughs> but Shannon Sharp, Uncle Shay, has been going in. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the clips with Skip Bayless today. I saw one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, he summed it up so perfectly in uh, one sentence. And he said, they needed KD to do what teams have asked LeBron James to do for 18 years. And in the full clip, what he says is, he says, unfortunately for you, Skip Bayless, you have actually set the standard for what the greatest player in the world should do. And he quoted back um, after the game that we, we always go back to where LeBron in game one, I believe it was, of uh, the NBA Finals, my where heart breaks J.R. Smith, yeah. And it's supposedly, and they say it's one of the best performances ever in a playoff game. I think he had 51 points or something like that. Yeah. And Skip, alongside many others, got on his case and said, it's all well and good doing what you do there, but you didn't close the game out, which is what matters. And so Skip then going on and saying, well, look, you needed help. He was so tired by the end of that. 50 minutes that he didn't have the energy to be able to put the ball up and uh, nail the shot I'm afraid you don't get that pass in that situation um, this is how it goes that is great that is, <laughs> that is phenomenal uh, the problem with Skip is he's a long uh, kind of gone from the where he could at least cover up his LeBron hatred a little bit with <laughs> I, I, we we kind of know the truth but he can at least make a claim that well I don't I don't just like LeBron it's just that I think this whereas now I mean he's literally putting in posts supporting the Clippers and saying like hey Bron or whatever if he, he's not he, even in the playoffs anymore Skip well, this has got nothing to do with him he started his segment today saying that it's such a shame that my guy KD didn't get the help required to get him over the line against this Bucks team. My and, guy, he said, his Clippers. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and he so he doesn't even try and cover it up now. So you can't take it. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a bit of a shame in a way because you really can't take it seriously in that case. You've kind of you're kind of seeing a bit behind the curtain where it's literally he's literally acknowledging I just hate LeBron. But, but yeah, it, it is it is true. He has set that, that standard on LeBron that, all right, if you're going to put him to that, then KD's got to have the same standards as well. You can't have it one way. Not yeah, other. Shannon said to him, how many times has uh, LeBron James surrendered a 2-0 lead in the playoffs? Which is something <laughs> that should certainly be mentioned because he didn't just lose the series. They were up 2-0. Um, and Skip was saying, I, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to... I haven't done the research there. I mean, I'm sure you have, but no, I, I, I actually don't know how many times LeBron has had that happen to him. His defence, he said, my guy KD had the biggest liability in the history of playoff games named James Harden. Harden was a cardboard cutout. He should not have played 53 minutes because he was a disaster. KD Blimey. had no help. See, I, I think he's... I didn't think I'd be finding myself defending James Harden, but <laughs> I, th- I think uh, he was, if he wasn't James Harden's name, I think you'd say he played an okay role as sort of like a number two. I he might wasn't the standout James Harden numbers. Then KD now he's on the Nets. 
there's something like the the, the way well to be fair when you're doing it as a one-man team on the on the rockets it's kind of understandable but like yeah the way he went about leaving i know you kind of have to do that as we've seen but i hate especially when you're rooting against his team the way he draws fouls is just so horrible. Oh, like, it's It's vile to watch. Yeah. There was the play where, and they did it a couple of times, didn't they, where the next players would kind of budge the back of uh, one of the Bucks defenders, usually P.J. Tucker, into yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the offensive player, and they would get a foul out of it each time. Um so before the I one mean, that Middleton wasn't even looking at him and he was giving it against he's like, how? He's like looking the other direction. Yeah, I, I was I was reading uh an ESPN report about it and uh they they were talking about the officiating on there. I was just trying to find uh the line again. Um The referees allowed vicious physical play in this second round finale. Blake Griffin was flat out wrestling with Antetokounmpo at times, and the smaller <laughs> net survived in the trenches, getting away with almost everything with what they wrote. Some of the foul calls were just baffling. Like It was so one-sided, isn't it? And it always feels worse on the opposite side than what you're cheering for. But it did feel like everything was against the Bucks until they eventually pulled it out. The officials do just seem just fairly gutless and just go with the home team half the time when you watch it. It's, it's insane. They're bad. The one I thing mean, I will say... Such... With the, much... Go on. Oh. The, the, I mean, we think we got inconsistency in football when you watch some of those. Jesus. But, That's uh, what I was going to say. The, the focus say, there's been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing I was saying about KD was that uh, as much as I say about my hatred of him. This, and this is going to be a very um, sort of English, like in a, a plucky loser or a heroic failure. But I kind of, these sort of games are where you respect him and you think, this is a great player who did absolutely everything he could and dragged his team as far as he could, fell a bit short. Rather than an all-time great player just going with a stacked deck and winning. Because there's just, I just have no interest in that. And I think, well, I imagine there's a lot of people having that same sort of feeling with me. 48 points in 53 minutes was uh, his stat line. It was kind of stacked in his favour beforehand, just not in this game. So that's what kind of leads me. Like I, I was respecting what he was doing, but I, I, I found it hard to have any sympathy only, for yeah, him. Only in this game. No, only in this game for sure. Because, again, this, this next team's stacked, isn't it? This should, they should have cleaned up if it weren't yeah. for, you say, I, Kyrie's injuries and whatever and, and Harden's injuries, which... In fairness, Harden never normally gets injured, so that's a bit of an odd one. But interesting whether Harden's injury is would he have had the playoff meltdown he normally has anyway? Has, has the injury just spared him that? Do I wonder. You, it's interesting. I don't know if I was reading too much into it, whether it was uh, the play, but obviously the final play that Durant does have. And it still felt inevitable he was going to score that, by the way, even with oh, the, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. lack of time left. But he tried giving the ball off to Harden, and Harden almost like as if you're playing 2K and you've accidentally passed it to the wrong man. Before he'd even kind of controlled it in his hands, he'd given it straight back, which you'd think if, if KD's passing it off and he's expecting it back, he's at least doing it to get in some space to where he can have a shot. 
the, the speed at which it was passed back to him was like hard and saying, no, no, I'm, I'm not having this shot. Like you're having this shot. So yeah, I, mean, I thought he had to bear played, some but... of the blame there because he did pretty much throw KD to the wolves there. KD's already hit the one shot, which is very unlucky on his part. Um, because it's, it, the distance there isn't that way. You can say he may not have hit it in from that distance, like it's literally millimeters, like that. He, he's hitting that shot regardless. You would think. So the fact he's kind of asked for help there, not a good look from Harden, considering KD had gone zero for six in overtime. Like he yeah, wasn't think, hot. No, no. I, I think we've got enough of a sample size on Harden to know that. He's not that guy in crunch time in the playoffs. I think. I just think he's yeah, just a personality or whatever it is, just hasn't got it in it. Yeah, it it, it was rough from his perspective. I did greatly enjoy it, um, but then Giannis and the point that I was going to make here and has been made by plenty of others here is this kind of showed how difficult it is to win with a super team, and I think it will age uh, some of the wins for well, I guess. The, the Miami team was called a super team at the time, but then you look at the role players they had in guys like um, Mario Chalmers there, who, who was putting it out. Ray Allen was a, was a role player at that point, particularly um, in, the, in the latter time there. You aren't getting that there. I mean, you, you had Harris there, who I saw Nets fans burning his jersey after the game. Um, <laughs> this year, tweet saying like, Jesus. Why did you have a Harris jersey before this? Like, what made you get this? Um, did they buy it just to burn it? Yeah, but it, it was like super teams are so tough when you have that Bucks team where you have a superstar, but you also have a stacked team. So when they did need to go to the bench, the drop-off wasn't quite the same as when you're losing someone like Durant, um, Kyrie, or Harden, and you got to think they may not have been missing it so much if they had Kyrie there in that mix as well, to be fair. But it's an interesting point as to how teams are going to go moving forward as to whether yeah, this kind I of bears a lesson or it's a one-off and like we saw how good they were in the regular season basically just keep them fit. <laughs> yeah, because I do think let's face it, the the nature of the experiment with the Nets is going to be how much is this basically sheer talent that we've got going to outweigh maybe the, I don't want to go full fee from people, but sort of the chemistry of the other teams. Yeah. These teams that are better built teams, but don't have the individual talent versus the sheer brilliance we've got. I do think had they kept them all fit on there, they would have closed that out. Yeah, they, let's face it this year, they probably win the whole thing. I think it could have been close with some of the other teams, but so if they can keep them all fit next year, if they could do it another, another year of playing together. Barely played together in the regular season, did they? So No. The, the Bucks did I've... all but try and give them this game. In the fourth quarter, um, <laughs> they did their best, yeah. Drew Holiday was 2 of 17 in the fourth quarter. Chris oh, Middleton couldn't buy a shot and then nailed some really clutch mid-range shots that he seemed to yeah. come into um, as it went on. I don't know if I'm alone here. This I, I think a good mid-range shot is sometimes more satisfying than a three-pointer. Like, there's something about it that just, just looks so nice. But as it went on, like they should have been blown out. 
by Harden and KD in that fourth quarter. When you look at Robin, uh, Brooke Lopez, sorry, tried to give it away when he did a J.R. Smith and didn't know what time was on the shot clock. He redeems it with the block at the end. But they certainly had enough chances to win this, uh, the Nets. They, they can't go away blaming anyone other than themselves for not stepping up around KD. And I think that was probably in our minds in terms of you thought, how many times the Bucks looked like they could have had this and blew it? And as yeah. you said, KD being KD, I thought once he got that one to take it to overtime, I thought, well, that's it. And as for you must be, if you're on the Bucks, that must kill you. That must be it. So I guess on the flip side, we've got to give him credit. And, you know, it's same with Giannis, who was getting hammered, basically, when they, you know, before these two games that they've won. It was, well, look, he can't get it done in the postseason. He's yeah, just yeah. A, basically a regular season. If people were even saying he could just be like a number two, maybe she's just never going to be that guy. Yeah. So, got to give him credit when they do actually pull out the fight. Them giving up what they did for Drew Holiday does look horrible. I maintain he should give some of that money back after what he's done in the playoffs. <laughs> but it stinks so bad. Um, <laughs> with this... Um, Moving forward, the Bucks have got a feel that they put themselves in prime position to go and win the championship. So we'll see how how they cope with that. Um, elsewhere for the Nets, I guess they'll just try and bolster what what they have. It's not that they have the draft picks to be able to do it. So it probably will be a team that picks up as the season goes on and they claim people from the waivers and free agents and that kind of thing. It's at yeah, least going to be interesting. Yeah, the, what I was going to say actually was how this game felt to me was, do you remember the feeling of watching uh, that game seven with the Warriors and the Cavs? And it was like every time the Cavs made a big player, the Warriors would come back with two more and it just felt like you were yeah. just waiting for yeah. them to pull away every time. And it felt like this watching yeah. that. I, I'd never allowed myself to believe that the Bucks could pull up, pull this off because as we've said countless times on this episode now, KD just felt inevitable. And I just didn't want to allow myself to get too excited as as much as the heartbreak was hitting me every time he drained another tough shot. <laughs> Especially those Harris ones in the corner. They were just somehow digging out. It was so, so horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess we got an interesting finals now. We've got the Suns... Uh, battling it out with um, the Clippers in the uh, Western Conference Finals. We're going to have the Hawks in there with um, the Bucks. No one's watching that. (laughs) Pardon? That's going to be a tough one for the NBA ratings, I feel. I'm not sure sure that many people are going to tune in to... I mean, it helps that that Trey Young... He's, He's kind of a himself, isn't he? Well, he he kind of took the villain role by the mantle, and I don't know if you watched yeah. any of the um, Knicks games. They were rough. Um, the the chanting, I mean, they were chanting everything. I mean, game one they started by chanting "fuck Trey Young," and then um, by the end of it, um, they were chanting Trey Young's balding. So <laughs> the whole way through, um, I mean, there was. They, they were just brutalising him and it spurred him on. I don't know why they didn't realise this. It was making him a better player. He shushed the crowd after game one. 
he bounced into game he bounced into game two, calling it his house. Like he's a guy who is money. When you when he first came in to the NBA and the Hawks traded the Doncic pick to take Trey Young, so they're always going to be compared. They did the yeah. thing where they draft Doncic because he's going to go off the board early and then trade him to um, uh, the Mavericks. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And rather than compare the two, you've just got two great players and it does look like he's just a great fit for Atlanta. No one expected them to go this far. Uh, more people picked them to go out to um, the Knicks than to get to this far. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're just a great team to watch, and they're the kind where, like, from in football, in terms, you think you should beat them, but you know you're never going to have it tough. Like, you're never going to blow out. Burnley oh, is the example I was going to use, but they've been a bit worse for that this season. But you do have some teams where you're like, we should win, but it, we're, we're never going to smash them. Easy, like, it's yeah. just not going to happen. Mm. And they're they they stay in it and stay in it, and stay in it, and then fourth quarter, it's like right. We'll just try and take this from them now. So he really is able to sort of drag the team through as well. He's uh, he's yeah. a lot better than I thought he was in fairness to him. Good first season for Troy as a Suns fan. Properly, it probably doesn't look as good for him because he's got on there at this point. But I kind of test he jumped <laughs> on there yeah. before the season began when they they weren't tipped to do anything. Um, I know he became them because uh, he was. He was drafted there on 2K a couple of years back and kind of followed them from there. Um, Cam messaged me this morning saying, uh, my sons are doing well, aren't they? Um, <laughs> of course he did. Um, so there we go. In, even with I would Chris like Paul to see out, them do it. I would like, I'd like to see them win it. They're fun, aren't they? De- they Devin Booker is, just, is just a killer. Great. I don't know if it's going to help or hurt him that I mean, he's been crowned the Kobe successor overnight. Um, like every yes. post I've seen about him has said, like he's Kobe Mark II. Um, he finishes the he finishes these games and then uh, goes home to Kendall Jenner. So I mean, he's living a pretty decent life at the moment. Uh, little Devin lives, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Ben, ben Simmons is. Uh, bad as things were for him last night he, he, he still goes home and I'm sure he's got a DM from my jammer waiting there for him so it could be worse in his shoes even if he has been labelled as like the worst player in NBA history after last night <laughs> so there's a clip if, you, if you've not seen it where he has an open he has an open uh, like dunk at the basket and he hands it off where he's too scared to take the shot and then he's been oh, dogged geez. by Doc Rivers in the interview after. And then Embiid did an interview and he says the turning point is where we had a wide open look and instead decided to pass it and only hit one of the free throws. So he dogged him there as well. Ben Simmons having a tough time. Yeah. I don't think he'll be in uh, Philly next season. It just they won't get the trade value. Um, when they, they, they tried, like it was a viable move, offering him for Harden. At the start of the season, like this, not so much now. Uh, after what we've seen, I guess we could probably go deeper into the NBA Finals next week because we'll know who we've got there, and uh, we should yeah, be into yeah. it. So, uh, probably a good point to wrap up now. Um, 
So thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. We'll be back next week. Goodbye.